Welcome, this is day number four. Today we are going to be talking about some pretty close to home things. But the whole purpose of the seminar is so that you can be set free, that you can um, have the tools that you need in your journey, in your walk. So let's go ahead and have prayer. Our Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for being with us. Thank you that the rain passed over, but it wasn't destructive. And you protected us all here on this campground. And I know that your spirit is present here, Lord, and I pray that you will join us in this room. Fill it with your angels. I pray that your Holy Spirit will be able to penetrate our minds and our hearts and help us to really connect with you today. Is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you had an assignment. How many of you did your assignment? What? Did anybody, did anybody do their assignment? Okay. Did, you, did anybody feel the pull of the flesh yesterday? Did you experience the pull of the flesh yesterday, what we're talking about? I could have left that shopping cart right there, but decided that it needed to go into the cart corral. Okay, so she, something simple, right? Yeah. There was a grocery cart sitting out. She had a thought to walk away and leave it, <laughs> but she didn't. Like, she put it away. Yeah. Before we came to this class, we planned on giving some ice cream for dinner after class. <laughs> after this class, we couldn't do it. And then you heard Pastor Doug, right? <laughs> So, okay, so tell me what it felt like. Well, actually, even before the class was over, I was like, okay, no, we, we can't. <laughs> was it a struggle? It was a struggle. Even while I was here, I was like, oh, I can't go for ice cream. I'm going to say, I can't go for ice cream. Okay. So, but you experienced it on a, on a very simple level. Okay. Not that ice cream was bad. Anyone else? I had talked to someone before the class that said I needed to work on freedom in Christ. And then I got here, and that's what you talked about, was freedom. How cool is that? You just emphasized... In a, maybe a different way? Or? Yeah. Well, you, you added to it to okay. make the freedom understandable. Well, right? praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We hope that it's... You know, when we, we put these seminars together, we just really pray and agonize with the Lord that it'll be simple, practical stuff, not theology so much as it is giving you some real you know things that you can touch you can hold on to you can understand I need I need pictures you know a lot of big words just kind of go in one ear and out the other or over my head or whatever but when I, when someone presents very simply and and um, clearly simply practically then then it resonates with me so okay you have an outline. Please understand that we'll, I'll make these outlines up a couple days in advance, but then when I sit down in the morning and I go over them again, I may add or I may take away. So I'll let you know when something is not, I'll try to remember to let you know when something is not on your outline. So these first few verses are not on your outline. You will want to write them down. We're going to be finding true freedom and peace within. We were talking about this peace that passes all understanding, and you only find peace in Christ. And when you um, are in the midst of turmoil, remember yesterday we talked about 
that our, our victory can only be gained through conflict, right? And, and who is doing the fighting? Was that clear to you? Who is actually doing the fighting? Wait, wait, wait. I didn't hear that. Christ and Satan is doing the fighting. And we're in the middle. We're the, we're the prize, okay? And so he, they're, they're battling for us. But we have to make a choice. We're, we're not just this, you know, being pulled every way. We are now with an understanding that I have a choice in this thing. I can choose who's going to be my master. Who's going to have my heart? Who's going to have my affections? Who am I going to serve? I'm tired of serving the devil. And I did it by default because I didn't know any better. But now we know better, right? I hope. And folks, this is, you're only getting five days of this. This is going to take you the rest of your life to study, to pour over, to continue on. So many times we'll go to a real inspiring meeting or something, and now, oh, that was so great, but then, you know, a week or two later, it's like it's, it's lost. So in order for you to keep it, you have to keep going with it, keep it alive. All right, Colossians 2.13, and you being dead in your trespasses, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Colossians 3.1-10, if you were raised with Christ, Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now you are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, since you have put off the old man. We talked about the old man yesterday. What is the old man? What does he represent? Self? My, my old nature? It's, it's who I used to be. Paul is very, very clear. Get this. If you don't remember anything, get this in here. That when you accept Jesus Christ, when you respond to the Holy Spirit drawing you to him, you respond to love, you step forward and you say yes to Jesus. I don't understand what it means, but I'm going to, I need it. Then you are justified. You are clean. You are just as if you had never sinned. Amen. And that is a big concept. And then you have to walk with him. You, you start your journey. You, you're washed clean. Your, your brain is renewed. Your heart is renewed. You're transformed. That work of transformation begins in you. <clears throat> and along your journey, you may fall. But now you know what to do if you fall. So here he says, now, now you are to put off all of these. These are people who became Christians. Paul is saying to the Christian church, now put off all of these. Change your clothes. Get a new wardrobe. Take off your anger. Take off your wrath, your malice, your blasphemy, and put away that filthy language out of your mouth. Since you've put off the old man and you've put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The work of a lifetime is to recreate the sinner into the image of God which Adam had before he fell. And God has a lot to work through in my life. Every one of us has a different past 
But praise God, nothing is too hard for him. So keep working with him. Let him work through you. Let him work in you to change you. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, now this is what you put on, you take off those other things, now you're going to change into a new outfit. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. And above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of, what's that word that we don't like? Love is the bond of perfection. When I say bond, what do I mean? The glue, the stuff that sticks it together. Love is the bond of your perfection. Whose love? God's love is the bond of your perfection. In other words, think of it this way, picture. God's love, when we receive him, we receive his righteousness, and his righteousness is love, because God is love. We receive him. God's love then drives sin out of the heart. Okay, So we no longer have that guilt. Do you understand this? We talk with people all the time and say, oh, yeah, I think I'm forgiven. If you are forgiven, how much of your guilt do you retain? None. So you guys are not sure on that. If you give this to me, how much of this still belongs to you? None. None of this belongs to you? Who does it belong to now? This represents my sin. I give it to Jesus. Oh, you want to keep it? Not going to give it back to you. (laughs) So, you receive his righteousness. So now, put on these things, which is the bond of perfection. His love is what makes us perfect. His love is like that band around us, and it's encompassed in his law, it's encompassed in his word. So when we are in Christ, if we are in that protective bond, how much are we going to sin? You're thinking. First John talks about that. You laugh because she said she wanted that back. That's what we do with our sins. Is we, want uh, to we, 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 we miss the point. We tend to think that we still have the guilt. And we allow that guilt to plague us for the rest of our lives. We'll talk about that. And let, allow the peace of God to rule in your hearts, to which you are also called and be thankful. Okay? Allow the peace of God to rule in your hearts and be ye thankful for everything that comes your way. Ephesians 3.17. I encourage you to read these books. Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. Because in those books are the practical steps for Christian living. 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In Colossians, Jesus Christ had all the fullness of God, and now he's saying that you, too, may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you see what is handed to you? Do you see what is offered to you? Do you understand? We can't, can we, James? We can't comprehend. He's offering all of this to sinners, to these people down here on this earth. And it's there. It's for you. It's for me. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And in our minds, we think that's impossible. Jesus, how can you do that? How can your love be so powerful that you can fill me with all the fullness of God? But it says, now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. As many as come to him, he will in no wise cast out. If you come to Jesus, you receive power to become the sons and daughters of God. You receive heavenly power. It's available to you to live the Christian life here in this sinful, dark world. To be a light to the nations around you. It's all there. And by faith, we have to accept it. By faith, we press on. That's righteousness by faith. That's Christian living. Oh, a couple more here. Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice is that I'm going to get even attitude. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. In Philippians 2.13. How does it happen? How is it possible? You can, you can read it. Because it's God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. It's all wrapped up in him. We have a big part to play, but it's so small in comparison. James? I really like that verse because it talks about to will and to do. Yeah, the desire. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because we all have those days when it's just like, oh man, I just don't think I can do it today. But he gives it to you. Portland, Oregon, in June, they always have the Rose Festival. Our, our topic today is all about moving on. It's about letting go. It, it encompasses forgiveness and letting go. So in the Rose Festival, I was there as a little girl, and I always thought it was so cool because these Navy ships would dock right there on the Willamette River. 
and the sailors were all lined up, you know, and they had their black skivvies. I think that's what they call them. Their black, you know, you know those bell bottoms that they wore. And my mother, at 16 years old, with her friend who was named Jody, I'm named after her, used to go down to the ships and they would kiss the sailors goodbye when they got out to leave. My grandmother was just fit to be tied. She thought, oh, my daughter's down there doing this. But that's what they did. And so my mother met this handsome sailor. That's my biological father, Earl, and that's their wedding. Now, I, I never met this man. My mother told me this story, and, I, and it's been verified that they were married, and something was going wrong in the marriage. I don't know. She didn't tell me exactly what it was, but he went out to sea. He was a sailor. That's what they do. And while he was out to sea, she received divorce papers, and they were divorced. So that left my mother a single mom, two little kids, little Danny, little Jody, and um, she had to raise us. Now, my brother and I had different reactions to the fact that our father didn't care to know us. He made no effort, no attempt whatsoever to know his children. It would be years later that I would meet family members. Danny, my, the brother here on, on the right, <laughs> over here, that's my oldest brother, Danny, and his daughter, Risa. Danny and I share the same mother, same father. Danny turned to different vices to feel to be um, whole, I guess, or to acceptance or to, yeah. So he turned to drugs and alcohol. And in 1997, he died from overdose. So that's, that's how Danny ended up. I met Randy here. Randy and I share the same father, different mother. I met Randy that year, 1997, <coughs> because our father, Earl, and this is like such a, a soap opera drama, our father, Earl, contacted cancer, mesothelioma, from working in the shipyards. And so he did all this paperwork for wrongful death lawsuit, and he had to list former marriages and children and all of this so that everybody can be benefited by his death. And so my mother's name was there, and he said, son, Daniel, daughter, name unknown. He didn't know my name. He didn't know that she was pregnant with me when he decided to desert the family. So anyway, um, I met Randy through all of this legal hassle. Randy didn't know he had a brother and sister. We didn't know he had a brother. So it was kind of an interesting meeting. I met him in 1997, and uh, he came out to our daughter's graduation in 98. So when I called, when I talked with Randy on the phone, now, see, growing up without your dad, you kind of get this, who am I? Uh, why did he not care, or, you know, what was, what, was, what was the problem? But yet I still didn't have a lot of, you know, it's like, well, that's just life. That's just the way things happen. But I could have been very angry. In fact, 
after I started getting more information, after I met Randy and getting information about my dad, I did, get a, I did feel a little bit like, you know, I've been kind of given the wrong deal here. In fact, the attorney, when he talked with me about this uh, monies and everything, long after Earl passed away, I said, I don't want any of that. I didn't know the man. He didn't care to know me. That's his family's stuff. And the lawyer says this, and he's from Texas. Well, you have it coming. He's your dad. He don't know what he missed. Well, I'm not from Texas. <laughs> but I was able to meet um, a grandmother. I met my Aunt Vernale from, from Arkansas. That's where my daddy grew up. My daddy had, was six foot, one or two. He had fiery red hair and freckles. And they lived in a place called Star City, Arkansas. My mom described it as, as in the Ozarks, as those mountain people. So, but when I met my grandmother, just a quick little story. I don't want to get too caught up in stories because my time will run out and I've got so many important slides that I shouldn't tell stories, right? Well, I met my, I went to Arkansas and met my Aunt Vernell. She was about this tall, about this wide, and she's tough. She was a prison guard. So she meets me at the airport and she says, oh, hi, baby. I'm your Aunt Vernell. And I said, oh, I'm glad to meet you. He says, are you hungry? I said, well, yes, I'm hungry. And he says, well, I'm going to, I know you're a vegetarian, but you can eat catfish. And so we went to this restaurant. She ordered me this catfish, and we had some hush puppies and some other stuff. But when she took me to meet my grandma, Mama, and Grandma Vernell, we went to this nursing home. Now, my grandmother, I learned, had Alzheimer's. There were days that she did not know her daughter. So we walk in this room. And my aunt says, Mama, this here's Buddy's girl. So my grandmother's sitting on her bed, and she's just tiny little, frail, thin, fragile woman with gnarled fingers from arthritis. And she slips off her bed, and she comes over, and the whole time she's looking right at my face, walking right over past her daughter to me. She takes my hand and her gnarled hands, and she's... She's just looking at my face. She goes, oh, Nellie, this is Buddy's girl. This is Buddy's girl. And we all had this great cry. And my aunt told me, she says, you know, she has waited all these years. She knew you were out there. But Buddy wouldn't have anything to do with it. How did, you, how did that make me feel? Cheated? I didn't get to know my mamma. She didn't get to know us. A raw deal. I could be really, really bitter about this. I grew up all these years not having a dad. Oh, excuse me, I've had four. Meet dad number two. He's the one in the wheelchair. That's Ralph. My mom married Ralph shortly after she divorced Earl. This is my brother, Ray. I'm really proud of him. He's retired from the Navy, Command Master Chief Perry. And now he's got his hair long, and he wears it. Ponytail drives his Harley. He's got tattoos everywhere on his body. Ralph was abusive. 
My mother passed away in September. I sat with my aunt. She told me stories about Ralph, how he would, he kicked her eight months pregnant down a flight of steps, yelling, I don't want this baby and I don't want you. Now I'm, you saw a picture of me. I'm about maybe almost two in that picture. So that was the, the atmosphere that my brother Danny and I grew up in. So that was dad number two. This is the daughter that my mother gave up for adoption because she was going through a nervous breakdown with all the abuse from Ralph. And you know what's really, really weird about this? Is after they were divorced, they became friends, hanging out together, big old family reunions. I met Vicki in 1992, I believe it was. Ralph called my mother. You won't believe what happened. I got a call from that girl, and she wants to know if she can call you. My mother kept this a secret. The only ones who knew was Ralph, my grandmother, and my aunt. Surprise! Got a sister. Surprise! Got a brother. So I didn't have that real sense of family, you know, that kids, kids need. So that was Vicki, and she passed away in 1995. She had an aneurysm, so we didn't get, didn't get to know her very long. I always wanted to be beautiful. When I was growing up, I was a skinny little girl. My hair was cut like this. I think they called it a page boy or a Dutch boy haircut. And I was skinny. And I always had to wear these stretch pants that had the little band under the feet. And I didn't have a waist, so my pants were always falling down. I was lifting them up. But when Halloween time came around, I didn't want an ugly, scary mask. I want to be pretty. And the way for me to be pretty is to put on one of these masks. That's how I felt about myself. Okay? I didn't understand about life. This is dad number three. This is Paul. Now, Paul was actually fairly good to us. He provided for our needs, and he was kind of like a dad. He, we called him dad. I called Ralph Papa, and we called him dad. Um, and this is his son, Paul, who became my, my stepbrother. And so we were a family for a few years. Until one night, there's a knock at the door, and... I was about seven, and I went to the door. That was back in the day when kids could open the door at night when somebody knocked. And in that doorway is this man wearing this coat, and he says, is your daddy home? And I said, yeah, he's home. Well, Paul and his friend were sitting at the dining room table, and that's back when those you had those archways in from one room to another in those older homes, and so I'm watching the wonderful world of Walt Disney on a Sunday night, and they're in the kitchen, and there's a knock at the door, and I open it, and these men's voices, and so Paul reach, you know, leans out, and then all of a sudden the men run through the door, and men come in the back door, and there's running all the way through. I saw 
Paul and his friend running down the hall and his friend dove under my bed and the officers pulled him out and then they handcuffed everybody and including my mother who was pregnant and took them to jail. And at the same time as they're walking out with my mother and Paul and his friend, these other people come in and they take me and my younger brother Ray, who was Ralph's son, off to a, a place, okay? Not a foster home like you would go to somebody's house. It was like an orphanage. And that's where we had to stay for three days and three nights until they cleared my mother. I'm seven. James, can I be angry about this? Can I be, like, upset? Like, what's, what's up with these men? So Paul spent several years in the penitentiary. Held up three federal savings and loan corporations in Portland, Oregon, and did drug deals. So, there is hope. There is hope for someone like me. Jesus can still find me in the midst of all of that mess in my life. He knows where I am. And he had a plan for me, and he wasn't going to let me go. He had a plan for my brother. He just didn't choose it. And it was years later, years later. I became a Christian when I was 19. That's when I gave my heart to Jesus. And then God's word started replacing or, or filling those voids that I had. And while I'd, I would wonder about, you know, why I didn't have this normal family, why mine was so dysfunctional, why didn't I have all this special stuff. I used to go to the park with my aunt and uncle. I'd have to go to Sacramento from Washington down to Sacramento, stay a month with my aunt and uncle. I hated it. I did not want to be down there. And I would lay on their lawn and I'd see an airplane going across the sky and I wish that I could be on it to take me home. But that's just the way it was. But these scriptures... Before you were born, I knew you and called you by your name. You are mine, says the Lord. I wish he would have named me something else, though. I always wanted a pretty name like Crystal or Christine, but I'm Jody. I'm Jody Lou. That's my name, Jody Lou. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my daughter, says the Lord Almighty. When my father forsakes me, then the Lord will take care of me, for the father himself loves me. My mom did the best she could under her circumstances to raise little kids. In a day before there was welfare, no food stamps. My grandmother and my aunt helped her with us to provide our needs. This is my baby brother, Frank. He was the one that was in my mom's belly when they arrested her. This is Grandma Peggy. Grandma Peggy is mother to dad number three, the one who was in the penitentiary. Grandma Peggy was a Seventh-day Adventist Christian woman. Now, is that coincidental? Nothing happens by coincidence. Grandma Peggy took us to Sabbath school, which I thought was really strange. That was our first introduction to knowing about Jesus. It was through Grandma Peggy. 
a step-grandmother. She didn't have to do that. She did not have to take us to Sabbath school. In fact, she hooked my mom up with a Bible worker so she could start taking Bible studies. That's why we're in the church today, is because of Grandma Peggy. My mom met who I call my dad while working in a bar. She, that's the only work she could get. She didn't have a high school education. And so she met John Ryder, tending bar. They lived together for a while, and then they got married after they had taken Bible studies together. And we became a family in 1969. Growing up, I was very insecure. I was called dumb deweese in school, made fun of, because I had to wear those, those pants and I had to wear saddle shoes. And who wouldn't give, you know, for saddle shoes today, right? But those thick soled shoes and they're all clumpy and everything. And I had to go to school like that with my hair cut like this. And, and I couldn't do anything right. And I was, I was dumb. I was, I just made too many mistakes. And so the kids didn't really accept me. In fact, you remember those days when they would, um, choose sides at recess? I hated recess. But we had to line up, you know, and this one, this one, this one. But I was like that last one who was chosen. And there was a song. It's called The Last to be Chosen. Imagine that. It says, down in the schoolyard, they were choosing up sides. And one child stood there with tears in her eyes. She'd been there before. And somehow she knew she'd still be standing when the choosing was through. But from up in the heavens, the father looked down and he saw what happened there on the ground. And the angels rejoiced as he said to his son, watch what I do with that one. See, the last to be chosen are the first he will call. And what he does through them will amaze one and all. It won't be the hero who carries the ball. For the last to be chosen are the first he will call. Many of you here have been the last to be chosen. Many of you here have been rejected. You have been... Um, betrayed. You have been used. There is hope for you. Jesus has seen it all, and he's been watching, and he has a plan for you, and he will fulfill it. As, as we give our hand into his, he will fulfill it. The events in early childhood affect who we become as adults. Is that true or false? It is true. It affects who we become. I I'm going to have a birthday here. I'm not going to tell you which one it is. But I'm going to have a birthday here in August. And I still have some of the same insecurities and anxieties I did as a child. The acceptance, wanting people to like me, you know. And I'm still kind of, I'll step, step back and watch and, and kind of feel my way around before I just... Except for in a seminar, of course, you're going to expect me to come up and shake your hand. But I mean, in real life, I'll, I'll, come, I'll sometimes just step back, and I don't want to be around people. The events in childhood affect who we become as adults, but we don't have to stay that way. We could choose a different destiny. <clears throat> this one thing I do, read it, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching for those things that are ahead. What's ahead for me? 
eternal life, a life different than what I had, a better life for me, a sense of security, a sense of belonging, knowing who I am, knowing that I'm a princess. I didn't have a daddy to call me princess, but I have a heavenly father who has already given me the keys to the kingdom. It's mine. I press toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. We worked, my husband and I worked for this foster care system in Washington State, a government subsidized program with teenage girls. We had one 10-year-old girl. Now these are girls who are in the foster care, removed from their families because of whatever is going on. It wasn't good for them. And these girls are really angry. They're, they're just angry. They don't trust anybody. You know, just stay out of my space. It takes a lot of work to be able to win their confidence. So we're working in this environment. We're getting cussed at. We're getting forks and knives thrown at us. There are fights going on in the, the hall there. The girls are running away. We can't chase after them. We have to write, write, write all these reports after every shift of what happens. We have to call the police. But these girls would sit in therapy. They'd have therapy twice a week. They'd have art therapy. They'd have music therapy. They'd have sewing therapy, cooking therapy. Whatever they did, they called it therapy. And so these, these people with doctorates, these counselors, would come in and sit with these girls. And I sat in on one of these counseling sessions. This young lady had been abused physically, sexually, emotionally by several people in her family from the time she was way little. So it's no wonder she's messed up, right? So this counselor is having her relive everything. Talk about it. Just tell me how you felt. You know, and in my mind, I'm thinking, why are you putting her through this again? Now, I'm not a counselor. Some of you may be counselors, forgive me, but I don't understand that. So after the session, I asked the, the doctor, the one who had the doctorate in counseling, I said, can these girls ever move on with life? Can they ever forget and move on? No, they won't. And I thought, Doctor, you don't know the power of God. God can change that. We're going to talk about forgiveness and what God can do for that. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which were behind and reaching for those things which are ahead. This is Jonah. The Lord asked, do you have a reason to be angry, Jonah? What was he, where was he sitting? <laughs> this, this vine that withered. Jonah, do you have a reason to be angry? And Jonah responded, yes, I have a reason to be angry. And that's where it leaves, right? You read the book of Jonah, that's where it leaves you. How many of you know, now this could be yourself, how many of you know angry people? I do. You know angry people. And in their mind, they have every reason to be angry every reason. It wasn't my fault. I was not the one at fault. My biological dad 
could have come to see me. He could have known me. He chose not to. Dad number two could have been kind. He chose not to. Dad number three could have been unselfish. He chose not to. It's just the way society is today, isn't it? This one here, I kind of had a problem with this one in Ephesians. Let not the sun go down on your wrath and do not give place to the devil. How many countless people go to bed angry? You do, because we don't know what to do with it. We don't know where to turn with it. It's just something that's there. It's a heavy burden. My guilt, Psalm 38.4, and I'm, I'm putting bitterness in there because guilt and bitterness to me are like, you know, it could be the same. My bitterness has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. We get that way. My mom was hurt by her husbands over and over and over again. Rejected. Her bitterness became too heavy for her to bear. That bitterness is like a root, the Bible says, and it grows. The cup gets heavier the longer you hold it. I wish I had a cup. I'd have a brave person come out here and hold it. The cup gets heavier the longer you hold it. This is one of those little A&W cups. You know what A&W root beer is, right? Okay, I didn't know if that was a West Coast thing. But that has maybe one ounce of water in it. Can you hold an ounce of water? It's not heavy, is it? It's one ounce. But the longer you hold it with your arm extended like this, it becomes very heavy and painful to hold on to. Pretty soon, you're, I, I would see their arms droop, and they'd want to bring their elbow. And, nope, keep it out. Oh, keep it up. If not dumped out, the bitterness will overwhelm you. You need to let it go sometime. So why not today? Why not today? And, and you may be thinking, if it's not for yourself, you may be thinking for somebody else. It's impossible. I can't. I can't do it. Hebrews 12, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Does bitterness only affect you? You carry it with every, everywhere you go and people can see it's in all, it mixes in with your relationships with others. One study from the Journal of Behavioral Medicine found forgiveness to be positively associated with five measures of health. Physical symptoms, medications used, sleep quality, fatigue, and other complaints. It seems that the reduction in the negative effect or the depressive symptoms strengthens spirituality, conflict management, and stress relief one finds through forgiveness all have a significant impact on overall health. Have you heard this before? That resentment, bitterness, and all this affects your health? When you hold on and you don't want to let go, it affects your health, right? This is my mother. I loved her with my whole heart. She did the best she could for us kids, given the circumstances that she had to live with. But she was very, very bitter. Whoops, how come I'm ahead there? This is my mother. That guy's not my mother. <clears throat> um, Paul 
something happened between her and Paul, which was dad number three. She hated him. The mere mention of the Orlando name in our home was just, this was like spitting nails, you know what I mean? Just like these, these ta- you know, thumbtacks spitting out. Something happened, and I don't understand what. But she was very, very bitter to him and his son for so many years. And I talked with her, I said, you know, you've got to let that go, Mom. It's going to kill you. Her blood pressure spiked one time. The highest it was was 283 over 107 or something like that. And she's in the hospital waiting to have some stents put in, and they couldn't do it because her blood pressure was so high. But she lived with this blood pressure. She had heart disease. She was depressed. And I think, in my uneducated mind, that it was tagged back to her past, to things that happened to her. And the more I think about it, I feel really bad for her. She didn't, it's like she didn't have anywhere to go, nowhere to turn. I had the opportunity last July to go out to Washington and stay with her for a month. I knew she wasn't going to be around much longer. And my, my dad and mom and I went to my aunt's place in the mountains there. And my aunt took me for a little walk. And she says, you need to make sure that there's nothing between you and your mom because she's not going to be around very much longer. You know, it's like it hit me. I know she's not, but it's like it hit me. She's not going to be around much longer. And I thought, is there something? Well, I knew there was something in me because of something she did to me. So, you know, how you, oh, everything's okay. It's all good. No problems. But the Lord impressed me. Do it today. Do it today. So I was out doing some errands, and I stopped by. There's this floral shop there, my mom's favorite place. I stopped in there. I said, I need, a, I need some flowers for my mom. Who's your mom? Bonnie Ryder. Oh, Bonnie, sure. I'll get you something for Bonnie. So I get these flowers, and I just bring them home, and my mom is sitting on the couch. Now, she, has, she had heart disease and all this, and she's, she is dying, okay? She's sitting on the couch, and she was like this the whole, you know, she was like sleeping like this all the time. Her feet were all swollen up. So when I got in the house, I set these flowers in front of her on the coffee table, and I pulled up this little stool, and I sat right in front of her, and I took her hand. I said, Mom, you've been a great mom. A second. And I want you to know I really, really love you, and I appreciate everything you did for us. And I want you to know that I don't harbor any hard feelings towards you at all. I just want you to know that. And it's like, it's like I don't harbor anything. All that that happened, it's like it didn't happen. That's grace, friends. Grace. And only God can give it to you. Only God can make it happen, because we don't, right? She passed away two weeks after her birthday, Labor Day. I had that time with her. 
I had that time. And while I had that time, it was so important to make sure that everything was right. Forgiveness. Parents need to forgive their children. Children need to forgive their parents. Is it an option? Are those scriptures optional? Forgive even as Christ has forgiven you. That is a command. Just like keeping the Sabbath holy is a command. Just like honoring your parents is a command. Forgive is a command. And all of God's biddings are enablings. Did I say that right? If he says to do it, it's possible. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door to true freedom. True freedom. Now, you may not have anybody you have to forgive. That's wonderful, but you can help somebody else. Some misconceptions regarding forgiveness. We think that forgiving lets the offender off the hook, and we want justice, right? To forgive someone who has hurt you doesn't mean that you're letting that person off the hook. It doesn't mean you're excusing that person for their offenses. It does not mean you're completely over what they have done to you. It simply means you are letting yourself off their emotional hook. Did you catch that? When we admit that our offense was real, that it hurt, and it's inexcusable, but so is our offense to God. Okay? We can forgive another person just as God has forgiven us. And there's a story of David and Bathsheba and the death of Uriah. God said he would take care of the offense against Uriah. Remember? What happened? Did God forgive David? Did he forgive Bathsheba? Did he just say, oh, oh well, sorry about that, Uriah, but these guys are forgiven? No, God took care of it. If you want justice, you forgive and you leave it up to God to do it. Because vengeance is mine. I will repay, he says. And we don't want to do it with this, okay, I'm going to let him take care of you. You know what I mean? We let go of it and we let God take care of it. Number two, we can forgive only when we stop hurting. True or false? The fact is, you may never stop hurting from something someone did to you. Don't expect that the pain is going to be gone like that. It may in some cases, but it may take years of continual forgiveness. I truly believe that you will begin to experience the healing power of releasing yourself through forgiveness. By withholding forgiveness, we are saying, you will never be able to make this right. But what we are ultimately saying is, I will always hold on to this pain. That's what my mother is like. That's what what was in her. I'm not going to let it go. You know, there's people who, and I'm not saying my mom was like this, but there may be people who love this persecution complex. You know, like, I'm hurt, and I need sympathy, and I need compassion, and I need you to listen to me every single time. 
You need to help that person move on. You need to help that person move on. I was going to say get over it, but sometimes we don't get over it. That is where you don't want to be, stuck in the place of pain. When you're stuck like that, you end up living with the burden of bitterness. Instead, you can live freely by freely forgiving. Number three, we think that we must first receive an apology. Forgiveness is quite difficult and in some ways impossible. If we believe we must first receive an apology from the person who offended us, likewise, we will all have difficulty forgiving another person if we are expected, expecting that person to show remorse or evidence of having changed. We can also tend to believe that if we forgive someone, we're giving them license to hurt us again. I think mostly, though, we withhold our forgiveness because we don't feel another person has earned it. Right? This is George. George. This is my husband's dad. On that point of forgiving, is that we must, we must think, we think we must first receive an apology. Sometimes you've been hurt by someone and they don't even know it. True. Mm-hmm. You're never going to get an apology if they don't even know it. Right. But you're hurting, right? There's lack of communication. This is George. George lived in our home. He's my husband's father. And he was a paraplegic. And I was his care provider. I bathed him, took care of his catheters, his urinal bag, stimulated his bowels, um, fed him, transported him from bed to his wheelchair. I took care of everything for him. And I needed a break. I was only 22 or 23 years old, and you know I had a baby too. But anyway, I was taking care of George. It was our decision to do that rather than having him go to a nursing home. And so we decided we were going to take a, a weekend break and go somewhere. We arranged for someone to come in and take care of George. So as was my custom, I went in every night and tucked George into bed and kissed him on the forehead and said, Good night, Papa. See you in the morning. And remember, Tim is going to be here tomorrow. And oh my, he let me have it. I'm your responsibility and you shouldn't be taking off and the state pays you to take care of me and I give you money to take care of me and oh my, 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 my. Do you remember yesterday in Psalms where it talks about that fire musing? And while it mused, then the, you know, you start feeling that eruption coming up inside, this internal eruption. And then spake I with my tongue. I said, you are a selfish old man. And it's like, bonk, conviction. And I left his room and went into my room and I cried. I just laid on the bed and I cried. I go, God, I blew it. I shouldn't have said those things. And it's like, picture this with me. I'm laying across my bed, and I'm flooding it with tears, and there's Jesus patting me on the back. Let's have a talk about this. You know what What you've experienced, Jody? No, I don't know what it is. I'll tell you what it's. It's called resentment. What? Yeah, it's resentment. What you were just, what you were just feeling there before you blew up was resentment. You resented the fact that this man wanted to control your time. You resented it. And not only that, you kind of resent a little bit that he's even in your house. And you don't have any free time to come and go as you please. You've got to be here for Grandpa. Jody, resentment is sin, and it will keep you out of the kingdom. What do you want to do with it? 
Do you guys know how to spell resentment? The Lord spelled it out for me. And he said it is S-I-N. And now you've got to choose what you're going to do with it. You know what it feels like. You've experienced it. Remember I told you yesterday, sometimes he allows us to fall, make small mistakes to prevent us from making bigger ones. In your sanctified walk with Jesus, you're going to come up to a hurdle, something in your, your character, in your life, that he's got, to, he's got to work on. But he's got to bring it to your attention before you're going to let him have it. I said, Lord, I don't want it. Are you sure, Jody? Do you like how you feel when you're resentful? No, I don't like it a bit. Then let's take care of it. So I gave that resentment to Jesus. I said, I don't want it. Give me love, give me patience, give me compassion, help me understand him. This man was a logger from the time he was 12 and 13. Tobacco chewing, cussing, hunter, fisher, big tough man. And now he's being cared for by his 22-year-old daughter-in-law. Have compassion. Think about what he's going through. You're right, Lord. So I go back out into his room. Grandpa, I'm really sorry that I spoke to you that way. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have been so disrespectful. And this is what he said to me. Oh, that's okay, sis. We know everybody has a bad day. <laughs> now, what did I just go through? He didn't... We want someone to admit that they were wrong too and that he caused me to do that. It's his fault. No, it's not his fault. I have to choose, right? But don't we? We want someone to come... and. I, always, I had this vision that we were going to embrace and say, I'm sorry, we were going to cry together, but it didn't happen that way. We, sometimes we're not going to get what we're looking for, but I can have peace with God in spite of it, right? Thoughts from the Man of Blessings, 113, 114. We should not think that unless those who have injured us confess the wrong, we are justified in withholding from them our forgiveness. Did you guys get that? We are not to think that unless the one who has injured us confess the wrong, that we are justified in withholding from them our forgiveness. It is their part, no doubt, to humble their hearts by repentance and confession. And whose job is that? Christ's job to bring that to George, not mine. But we are to have a spirit of compassion toward those who have trespassed against us whether or not they confess their faults. Swallow. It's a hard one, isn't it? However sorely they may have wounded us, we are not to cherish our grievances and sympathize with ourselves over our injuries. But as we hope to be pardoned for our offenses against God, we are to pardon all who have done evil to us. Number four, we're afraid we won't be able to forget. Sometimes when we choose to forgive, we find that we don't forget the offense, and then we believe we failed at forgiveness. When God said in Isaiah 43, 25, that he would remember our sins no more, 
It didn't mean he was commanding us to do the same when we forgive others. You may not forget. That saying, forgive and forget, doesn't always apply. We have memories. Oops, to forgive and forget is something only God is capable of. We have memories, and perhaps for our protection, we tend to remember hurtful things. These girls that we took care of, that was their means of protection. I'm not going to let anybody hurt me anymore. So they put up this wall, this barrier. Don't let anybody in. I'm not going to get hurt again. When the memories come back, choose to forgive again. It is normal for memories to be triggered in the future. When thoughts of past hurts occur, it is what we do with them that counts. When we find ourselves focusing on a past offense, we can learn to say, thank you, God, for this reminder of how important forgiveness is. Who is forgiveness for? Did I, do that? Did I phrase that correctly? Who is forgiveness for anyway? Is my forgiving Earl for Earl's benefit? That was dad number one. For my benefit. Forgiving all those other things that have happened in my life. Is that for their benefit? No, it's for me. Do something for you. It's for you that you let go of it. Yes, you may feel it. Yes, you may hurt for a long, long time. Our good friend, who was a choir director, the principal of our school, was taking the choir on a, a trip in their bus, and on the way home, it was hit head-on by a potato truck. Flipped the bus on its side, it slid across the road, and it killed our, our, our friend. Killed him. And you know how grief works differently with different people. We still had 50-some students to care for. We couldn't just, like, grieve. We still had things to do. And so this one person kept saying, well, we'll just get over it. Excuse me, but you don't understand. I am dazed. I am just kind of in a fog. I'm kind of in this state of shock. And you want me just to get over it? It takes years. And sometimes your grief doesn't happen till later. So don't expect, don't, don't tell someone to move on unless you're willing to hold their hand and pray for them and help them step by step get on with life. Today, I choose to close the door to the past and open the door to the future, stepping through, starting a new chapter in my life. Forgiveness is not what we do for others. It's what we do for ourselves so that we may get well and we may move forward. The fifth one, we think we must resume our relationship. We don't have to be best friends. You know, and I think if, if something were to happen, and God forbid that either my husband or I would be unfaithful in our marriage vows, would I be able, if he were unfaithful to me, to welcome him back into a relationship? I don't know that I could do that. But I'm not there. Praise God, I'm not there. <laughs> you know, but for those of you who may have been betrayed in your relationship, you leave that with God. You give your feelings to him every time you're angry and you want to throw things at the wall. 
You give that to God. Remember, you go like Isaiah said, go into your closet, get out of the situation and pray and open your heart to God. Prayer is the key in the hand of faith that unlocks heaven's storehouse and he will pour out for you everything you need to get you through your moment. Whatever it is, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. All of heaven is available to us. Remember, he's, he's not left us here alone to fight our battles. How can I forgive when it hurts so much? Forgiveness is a process, not an event. Oh, I'm going to go to forgiveness tonight. It's a process. It's something that is a daily process, like sanctification. It's a daily process. It might take some time to work through our emotional problems before we can truly forgive. As soon as we can, we should decide. That's the point. You should decide to let it go. Decide to forgive. Grace is what we need. Without me, you can do how much? Nothing. Here's a prayer. Dear Lord, please forgive me when my responses are unkind, when I overreact and underlove. Lord, please moderate the temperature of my heart and control my responses. I want to have a tender spirit and your loving heart. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.